0: You're listening to Moments with me. I am Juan. Episode One Alex Parish. Hi, me, I am Juan, and you can be whoever you want to be. So I have my friend Alex here. Say hi, Alex. Hi, Alex. (laughs) So Alex and I just finished recording a vlog for my YouTube channel, and it's at me, I am Juan. Always, always at me, I am Juan. And now we're on my podcast. So this time around, we're going to be talking about what it's like to grow up, black what it's like to grow up hispanic just all around people of color issues so i'll start off alex by asking where did you grow up uh here in texas where specifically in texas
1: all over uh mainly dallas a little small country town in east texas but most of my growing up was in dallas
0: gotcha and what was it like in dallas growing up as a black person
1: Uh, So, growing up in a city like Dallas, one of the biggest cities in uh, Texas, you do get a sense of what is called, like, uh, post-racial environment, but you still see issues and elements of racism, race relations, um, embedded in everyday life.
0: Mm -hmm. So, I guess I'll dive right in and ask, what was... Uh, a moment or a specific event where you were like, you know what? It's actually, it hasn't gotten as better as people think. Uh,
1: so in school, I would oftentimes find myself being the one black person in the classroom, uh, sometimes the one black person in the entire grade. Uh, so I would get a lot of shit for it or get bullied because of my race, um, being called names, um, getting in more trouble than other students. And that was centered around my race without explicitly being because of my race. Mm -hmm. Um, But the implications were always there. And I would often feel singled out or just more visible because I looked different Um, And it would be the racist undertones to my teachers behaviors or why they would pick on me why they wouldn't um, accept my work. Um, And so I would always feel this racist or racial tension.
0: Now, I I kind of experienced that as well. So I grew up in Austin and Austin compared to the rest of Texas is completely different. Mm. Austin is a lot more liberal, a lot more progressive. But even then, I did experience some race issues. So for me... I was born in Mexico. My family came here. We're undocumented. Mm-hmm. And we went through those issues. And we stacked racial issues on top of that. And for me, what was actually really interesting was that I went and I, and I lived in predominantly Hispanic communities in Austin. And that was the same thing with elementary school, middle school. But what I experienced was that I tended or I was viewed as white Mm -hmm. even though I am Mexican and Hispanic and people would think that I was whitewashed and all of that so there was that and and with that Alex when it so like you tended to be the only or one of the few black people in schools and all of that but when it comes to home and other black people did people sometimes think you were whitewashed
1: yeah that That issue, uh, that is something that I've experienced in my life uh, because of my interest or how I speak. Um, People would tell me either that I wasn't black or wasn't black enough or that I was an Oreo. Um, Someone asked me, was my dad white or do I have white people in my family Um, because I would like comic books or uh, be perceived as being smart? Um, and sometimes this would come from other black people as well, Um, the issues of how to be uh, a black person or properly black. Um, And that could be um, also even about negative things. Like in my home life, my family life, I was raised by a single mother, and talking to other black kids it was just accepted that black families didn't have fathers. And that was something that I would bond with, with other black students and sometimes other um, minorities as well. But sometimes it would be like, this was a really black aspect of my life and this wasn't. So this was me wanting to be white or be closer to white people or accepted by white people. So it, it got frustrated and trying to navigate these channels, both within the black community or without in the white community or Hispanic community, um, there's a lot of colorisms and uh, aspects of a person that are attributed to a racial identity.
0: And now, did those issues continue when you moved on to college?
1: Uh, Yes, in a way. I mean, those racial tensions or those ideas of this being a white hobby, this being a black hobby, those didn't necessarily go away. But me, myself... I am Alex. Um, <laughs> I, I was a stronger, more confident, more secure in my person, my personhood, my identity. And it didn't bother me as much. Or I was able to articulate, um, you're full of shit. Mm-hmm. And what you're saying is built on all these ideas and notions. And I don't subscribe to it. So... And now sorry
0: um where did you go to college was it Uh, still in the dallas area
1: yeah it was in dallas i went to smu
0: gotcha yeah gotcha well it's actually really interesting that even within a city when it comes to like tighter and smaller communities so like elementary schools and all of that you Mm -hmm. see those issues like really highlighted but then when you go off to college they're completely different in the same city so yeah
1: and I mean, it could just be the environment mm-hmm. because an elementary school is usually just a couple of neighborhoods, yeah. but a college campus has p- international folks, folks from out of state. So the, um, the components are different mm-hmm. versus a smaller community. But the commonalities of groups, of people, of group thing, they're still there. Yeah. Um, and in college... In, in a way, people don't give a shit about, you know, mm-hmm. what's going on with people. It's going to classes, not going to classes, going to parties, hooking up, um, being free from parents and family influences. So in a way, it is a little separate from um, family-rooted institution problems, but the problems of people... Um, Those racial opponents wanting to see yourself differently or part of a group, that's still present because you are still around people. Mm -hmm. And when I was in college, um, I had um, a number of black friends, a number of white friends, and it was the idea that I would sometimes feel if I was hanging out with one group or another, how would the other group feel or... How would people from the first group see me differently if they saw me with a second group? Um, so that idea of culture passing or um, existing on both sides of the binary, um, those were still present internally. Um, but because I was in college, because I was free and sleeping my way through classes, like <laughs> physically sleep, like snoozing, yeah. <laughs> um, It wasn't as pressing, but I remember moments in um, fourth and fifth grade specifically because I went to a Hispanic school. And I was one of three black people in the entire school, so counting the faculty and staff. So I was the only black male in my grade. Um, And there was another black girl who was in my class. But anyway, um, there would just be moments where I would just feel like I was the darkest thing in the room alongside the blackboard. Um, And those moments of just feeling so incredibly isolated and foreign, but I go home and it's my mom, my sister, maybe one of my aunts was over or something. And I would have that sense of normalcy and reconciling those those identities. Where I would go to school, I didn't speak Spanish other than like conversational and how to like cuss at people and recognize when someone's <laughs> cussing at you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I would be lost mm-hmm. and alone, and the teachers could help. But sometimes their idea of helping me was isolating me and having me work on my own with the English packet because they printed one because I was in the class. But that didn't really solve the issues. It also just made me feel further removed from the classroom community. Yeah, I think
0: that just enhanced institutional racism, really. And I I like that you hinted at that with your at-home life. And then when you... Stepped out yeah. of your house, and for me, I did sometimes experience that. My situation was a little different, though. Is that I I um, dealt with some racism growing up, but then it was the institutional part that really hit the minute that I went off to college. Mm-hmm. That was I was here in Austin. I went to UNT, so I've been dead for just one semester, and then I came back to Austin, and that's when racial issues but then also undocumented issues Mm -hmm. and being a person of color issues really came to the forefront and that's because financial aid was a thing that I really couldn't get and just work study wasn't a thing for me really that those institutional aspects of being a person of color but but mostly undocumented and honestly really came to light and that made me think about and I started realizing a lot of issues that I hadn't really dealt with being suppressed and whatnot Mm -hmm. constantly. So I'm still dealing with those and I still definitely have some effects from that. And now would you say that to this day, you sometimes get like flashbacks to everything that you dealt with? Yeah.
1: I mean, I'm still, I mean, that fifth grade person is still a part of me, my Mm -hmm. narrative, and those experiences influence what I, how I see um, racial issues now. Um, during those years, uh, I would see my friends, when we would go um, to our apartment complex from school, uh, certain kids would have to go to the leasing office because they spoke English, and they would have to translate and convey ideas to their parents about their lease. And so we're fourth and fifth graders. So, I mean, like, I don't know, what is that, Mm 12-something, somewhere around that? Yeah. Maybe 14, I don't know. But kids, youth, Mm -hmm. they're in a leasing office in a kind of powerful position because they have to explain um, the deal the aspects of their lease to their parents yeah and they have to say that back to the apartment owner or if there was an issue when an outside um like the police would come or something it's kids having to talk negotiate and explain and that's something that i that i saw and I would think about my own home family environment. And we didn't even answer the door or the phone because it's my mom's phone. It's my mom's door. So when I was paying bills, then I could answer the four or do something like that. But my best friend Julio, he's at the leasing office negotiating rent or talking about rent increases because – they don't, um, his family didn't speak English, and the apartment owners didn't speak Spanish, mm-hmm. even though the part of Dallas we were living in was a 99% um, Hispanic, uh, families.
0: Yeah. And just it's me interesting and my one that you brought that up because I didn't really think about it, but that's what it was like for me growing up, and so. a lot of my siblings is that because we're a first generation immigrant family, at mm-hmm. least, and I'm the first. Here in America, is that I had to do that. I had to be the translator, even going to buy food, yeah. like at the checkout. Like, I would be like, Mom, it's 6 dólares con 37 centavos or something. And I had to translate so that she could even pay something. Yeah. And that's a lot to put on a young child yeah. for sure. Yeah.
1: And I mean, they didn't really think anything of it. It's just, you know, what you had to do. But you could take a step back and say, look at the system, look at what's in place, and that has stayed with me. Mm -hmm. So as I've grown past being a fourth and fifth grader, now I am hearing these arguments about undocumented people and their inabilities to contribute to American society, in quotes. However, I have knowledge and experience of children participating in American commerce, American housing, um, contributing to the economy, and this idea that the system will always take, like they'll take the rent, however it's negotiated, even if it comes from a child having to explain it, they'll take the money, but there's not something in place to support the family back. And I have been cognizant and aware of this racial tension and that aspect, Um, just seeing how the Hispanic and other um, immigrant communities are seen and perceived from an institutional standpoint.
0: Yeah, and you bring up the visibility of this issue. So for me, one thing that I really don't like is when someone says, I don't see color yeah (laughs) yeah how do you feel about that for me it's like i don't i feel i feel like you're choosing to ignore racial issues by saying i don't see color
1: yeah yeah i mean it's it's like saying um anything that you can say i'm just gonna say is not valid because i don't see it i'm like well that's not true like you look at me and you see this black skin you see it Mm -hmm. you can't not see it um And to want to separate issues and hardships that I face um, that come from this skin, come from this history, come from what this country has done or what people have done, it's it's willful ignorance. And it's wanting to turn away from that history, but you can't. It's embedded and until we can confront it and face it and take steps to actively legally avoid it um it's going to continue being like abstract concepts and so for a person to say like i don't see color it's like okay but if my cousin gets pulled over i'm scared that he's going to be shot but if your person likely a white person saying this gets pulled over, it's, oh, they got a ticket or they got off, uh, you know, with a warning. But I have to fear for my life, the life of my friends, people that look like me, but you don't see that issue. I'm like, do you see these dead bodies? Do you see these reports? Do you see these headlines? These missing missing persons? Like, there's a history and a death count Because of race, currently, and even if you wanted to change it from deaths to deportation, families being torn apart or moved or forcibly um, interacted with, but you don't want to see that. So (laughs) it must be nice to be so comfortable in yourself, your person, trusting in the system to say that there are no problems. You don't see race. You don't see colors. We're all just one person. It doesn't matter if you're white, black, blue, purple, indigo, turquoise, whatever, because it's post-racial. We're, we're done with these things. But we are not. I can <laughs> get on Facebook, and if I scroll long enough, I'm going to see another video of a black person shot. I'm going to see another family where someone is in the detention center or they're being deported or something. Or it's like I go to a credit institution and how are they going to look at me? I, they see color. Mm-hmm. They see it. Um, but you don't. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay.
0: Would you then agree that choosing not to see color is a form of racism?
1: Yeah, yep. it's it's almost gaslighting the idea of manipulating someone by denial. Um, there is no problem. You're the problem because you're making a problem where there isn't one. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying X, Y, Z. And you're like, no, no, no. Those aren't issues. It's your attitude towards them that are issues. And I'm saying there are slain people weekly, monthly, daily, you can see the infographics, you can turn on the news, you can go outside and see it, and you're saying, that's not the problem, it's you not having a good attitude about it, that's the problem. So part of my frustration when a person wants to support blue lives or they want to defend the system, it's saying that if I'm killed, it's my fault. It's what I did. It's not that we have a system that allows for sworn officers of the law to execute citizens or people, and there's no repercussion for it. That's not a problem. That's okay. But if a large group of people rally, gather Um, Shut down a highway, assemble before city halls. They're the problems because they have bad attitudes. They're not going about it the right way. They should do this, that, the other. Meanwhile, people are still dying. And there's not any justice for those people. And there's not any accountability for the system. All of the hatred is towards the people saying, stop killing us no, 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 no. Like, stop protesting, stop assembling, have a Pepsi. Like, (laughs) you could be doing all of these other things. Meanwhile, I still want to support the system that allows for this indiscriminate killing. And that's what I support.
0: Yeah, no, thank you for going in. You just went in, which I I really love. (laughs) And (laughs) no, I like that you and I can have these kinds of conversations. What is it like trying to bring up this conversation with other people who... Are white. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, Um, who are white and who love to be bothered and are bothered by people bringing up issues that affect every single minute of their life. Would you bring up a conversation like that with someone who was white?
1: Yeah. I mean, for me and my life and where I am... (laughs) If I can avoid it, I wouldn't want a person that willfully ignorant in my life. And I have tried to distance myself and remove myself from people who support that foolishness. And it can be just you know, unfollowing unfriended people on social media, not talking to a person, um, you know, there's ways that you can distance yourself from it. It can be hard because of logistics. Like, you know, it's a person that you work with. I'm not saying that that does apply to me, but there could be situations where, in order for you to live your life, you know, get your groceries from the store, that's the person that you talk to. And there, what I do is try to take care of myself and make sure that I'm okay. And being comfortable to address it and knowing that sometimes you can not engage as a response. Not saying that I'm shy or I'm avoiding it, but life is complicated and sometimes people have an ability to impact your life either your physical safety, your ability to engage in, I don't know, commercial activities. Um, So sometimes I might choose not to, but I am comfortable, I am willing, and I have had these discussions about uh, racial topics, racial tension, the police, um, and I've stood my ground and stood firm in my beliefs while still... Being willing to hear another person with, you know, qualification. I'm not just going to let anybody come, you know, blue lives, whatever, but recognizing that someone might have more experience. Um, Last weekend, I had a conversation with someone who was a member of the police force, and we did actually talk about um, laws, what happens on that side, And he had far more visibility because he's an officer of the law or has been an officer of the law and talked to me about what he specifically has done. And then also how he views the system and going up to that conversation, it seemed a little challenging because I was talking to a person I know, someone whom I met via volunteering, someone that I have a great deal of respect for, someone who I know is a cop and who supports the police, and which isn't to say that he supports Blue Lives Matter, but he supports trained officers of the law and the institution. And we had a conversation, and I said, part of my frustration is the institution that you see is not the institution that I see and that interacts with me. And yes, I think that the institution of police, of, you know, law enforcement can be fine and it should exist and it should be a part of our lives. But as it stands now, I'm not seeing justice in this institution. And we had a conversation about what that means, where the law stands, what is feasible, what is legal and it was a conversation about race about the police about that institution that i felt necessary to have
0: yeah so you're definitely a lot better than i am <laughs> i still struggle with having conversations about race with anyone mm-hmm. period so what are different ways people can fight against the system or against the system and keep fighting against racism is it does it just boil down to finally having these conversations and letting people who are not willing to listen just out the window and Darwinism will take care of it. (laughs) Um, I would say that
1: history goes against that because that's where we are. So, Um, so for the personal, yes, like, and that can be a, that could be your ability. Um, My biggest suggestion is vote. And if you're able to, for how many uh, different ways you can vote, especially for a local government, so your constable, your local judge, your representative, vote and find people that um, match how you feel from a legal standpoint and vote for those people for their stances and don't vote for people um, who disagree. And that, like, the system can change within itself via the voting process. If there ever is a day where everyone's just like, fuck it, we're burning everything down, then <laughs> sure, go out to the streets, do whatever you have to do, and I'll see y'all on the other side.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but
1: until, like, you know, that big revolution, like we're taking shit over now, mm-hmm. um, to work within the system is to participate exactly and so when i see people who do have the ability to vote who don't because they're disillusioned or they're apathetic or everyone's the same everyone's out from each other i'm like no you are you are not participating and your inaction is causing harm exactly because you you aren't giving a voice to say i stand against x or i stand for y and that is a way to combat racism. Because from a system point, you can think about it as shitty as it is, the government, the system, needs to see people to recognize them. And that is a scary thought and an empowering thought. That if there are enough voices, if there are enough protests... Yes, you can see laws change. Yes, you can see people removed from office. But if we don't use our collective voice, if we're not collective bargaining, a person can justify their hate-fueled crusade because there's no one opposing them. So the only way to combat racism is to stand up against racism. And the best way for us to do that within our system as it exists is to vote against it.
0: Exactly. And when it comes to voting, yes, vote, but also realize that your vote could be for people who might not be born, who people yeah. who can't even vote. So like, for me, my biggest dream in life is to be able to vote, to become a U.S. citizen mm-hmm. so that I can actually vote. And it's hard for me to see people my age who are apathetic. They don't care. They don't want to vote when my biggest dream is to vote. So when they don't vote, they're really affecting my life because i can't go to a balloting cast for someone who is going to stand up for me because i just don't have that right yet so please vote i'm really offended when you don't but like i find it really offensive when even people who i know who care about me are like you know what i'm not voting like you know what my biggest dream in life is to be able to vote it's like come on now
1: i mean I think compulsory voting or like making it required for a person to vote is a good thing. And I think it was like Australia, uh, they uh, made that the law and they had like 98% voter turnout. So if you have to vote, you will vote. Mm -hmm. Um, But with our system as it stands now and you not being able to, I feel that also contributes to the idea that the system's never going to change. And if half the people who could change it don't, then yeah, the remainder, the quarter, the three-fourths of whatever is left, and if they want to go one way and everyone else is you know, not saying anything, then yeah, that one person who does show up and vote gets the ability to say what everyone else does. Because even if you don't vote, The government's still going to exist. You know, politicians are still going to be in office. Senators are still going to cast their votes, like whatever. So you not participating isn't stopping the government. You're not getting back at the system. You're not combating racism. You are sitting down and letting government go on maybe over you. Or directly through whatever ideals you have, because you're not wanting to engage with it.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's a nice conclusion to the conversation. Really? Just go out and vote. You can't complain about what's happening on if you didn't even vote, honestly. I mean. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So go out and vote when it's the next election that just shows you how much i'm engaged but (laughs) but yeah definitely go out and vote if you want to fight institutional racism kick them out vote for someone else vote for someone who's a lot more progressive who understands his issues and don't bitch later if you didn't would you agree
1: yeah, I like how we started like you know childhood. Yeah. Like when I was in the fourth grade to vote, vote, Go yeah. Vote. <laughs> what are you doing? Go vote. Go vote. Right, Register to vote. Look up right now who you can vote for and vote.
0: And vote. Exactly. I'm still hurting about Wendy Davis, but yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Alex, for coming on. Hopefully, everyone listening learned something new, got some new insight, and was able to see. Our a different perspective. Different yeah. perspective. That's all about. Become more aware, hear yeah. about other people's way of life. Yep. Yeah. So again, thank you so much, Alex, and everyone else. There's a lot more moments to come. Bye. Bye.